Section 11 of The City of Din. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amelia Chesley. The City of Din by Dan Mackenzie. Having now described the modern malady of Din, having indicated its causes, detailed its symptoms, and pointed out its dangers, my next duty is to show, if I can, how improvement may be brought about. To begin with, there can be no doubt that there is a shocking amount of superfluous sound in our modern cities. Useless, dangerous, gratuitous noise. Noise that can be easily checked when once attention is directed to it. Candidly speaking, we must admit that within the last twenty years or so, much of the noise proceeding from street and road traffic has been considerably reduced by the introduction and gradual extension of smooth road surfaces, whether of wood, asphalt, or pitch, and by the substitution of rubber for iron tires upon the wheels of vehicles. The improvement which has followed, the sensible enforcement of police regulations against loud bugle-playing, horn-blowing, and other displays of joyful noise, must also be gratefully acknowledged. But while improvement can be observed in some respects, in others, the nuisance shows no abatement, and in others, again, there has actually been a retrogression. The motor horn, for example, is a harsh and vulgar sound in comparison with the musical tinkle of the old handsome cab. On the whole, however, there is welcome evidence to show that slowly but surely there is growing up in the minds of the public a strong desire to bring about a reduction in street noises, and we are, therefore, justified in our hopes that the chances of reformation in this particular form of the nuisance are great and promising. And if only the desire becomes an active determination, the desirable quietude will, I am sure, be speedily achieved. London, as a matter of fact, is a quiet city already compared with many of its sister cities at home and abroad. To an American, fresh from the harassing din of New York, Chicago, and other transatlantic cities, London seems curiously peaceful and even somnolent, so that both at home and abroad there is still much room for improvement, improvement which can be easily effected. With regard to noisy occupations, much remains to be done, but modern engineers, unlike politicians, are not stricken with paralysis at the thought of difficulties, and I believe firmly that under the combined influence of factory inspection and the Workmen's Compensation Act, devices will soon be forthcoming, which will bring the noises of machinery within reasonable limits. As a matter of fact, modern engineering developments, even without this special end in view, have already resulted in some abatement of unpleasant noise. One of the most welcome characteristics of electrically driven machinery, for example, is that on the whole it is much less noisy than steam-driven machinery, and the same is true of hydraulic power. The turbine, again, produces much less thump and clatter on board ship than the old locomotive or tube boiler. The railway offers the most difficult problem of all, but even here some considerable reduction in noise may be remarked. The modern railway carriage on its bogey wheels is much less noisy than the old. Much improvement also can be obtained by careful plate laying with smoother running and diminution of friction and racket. But when all is said and done, there is still room for improvement in our railways. I have already indicated that whistles ought to be abolished, and I believe that railway carriages could easily be made more noise-proof than they are at present. 
This applies with special force to the tube railways of London, the din of which is so great that it is almost impossible to converse during the passage from one station to another. Generally speaking, much of the unpleasant and jarring noises in vehicles, whether on the railway or on the road, is due to bad workmanship or to carelessness in upkeep, whereby nuts work loose, bands and struts become slack, door panels and window panes become detached, and add each one its might to the sum total of buzz and rattle. All of the noises produced in this way are preventable. Assuming, however, that street noise will always be more or less disturbing, there arises for our consideration the problem of the quieting of dwelling houses and business premises. With regard, first of all, to the deafening of houses and apartments, I regret to say that many modern houses, particularly those which are made into tenements or flats, are not nearly so well segregated from each other's noises as the older houses are. And yet this great comfort is attainable nowadays at relatively little cost. In its way, the quietening of a house is almost as important as the provision of a sufficiency of cubic airspace, and being a matter of health, it ought, therefore, to be brought under the control of public health departments. Too little attention has been hitherto paid by our architects and housewives to the necessity for peace and restfulness in our bedrooms. Within the last quarter of a century, we have witnessed a triumphant crusade in favor of the open window, a crusade which some are inclined to believe has been carried to undue lengths. But there is another desideratum, and one which our predecessors understood much better than we do, and that is that bedrooms ought to be both dark and quiet during occupation. The exclusion both of light and of sound renders sleep deeper and more refreshing, since the lower nerve centers of sight and hearing in the brain are thereby permitted to participate in the blessings of rest. Light and sound are both apt to cause dreaming, and dreams always denote imperfect sleep. Light can be easily shut out by means of dark blinds and curtains without at the same time excluding fresh air. But in noisy streets, sound cannot be kept out if the windows are open. For that reason, the bedrooms in street houses should be placed at the back of the house. As things are at present, however, such advice is merely a counsel of perfection. The most grievous and sleep-destroying noise of today is, of course, the motor horn, and its use ought to be prohibited, at least between the hours of 10 p.m. and 7 a.m. The employment of double windows in dwelling houses, clubs, and offices is a most successful method of rendering rooms quiet, but again it conflicts with the necessity for ventilation, so that at every turn we are brought face to face with the problem of cutting off noise at its source. On the whole, however, we may, I feel sure, conclude our remarks in a strong note of hope. The stars in their courses are fighting for us, but the victory will come all the sooner if public opinion can be educated to regard noise as an evil to be condemned and reformed out of existence with all possible dispatch. The Litany of Din Window panes in gusty winds, battling cords and restless blinds, crazy cowls on chimney pots, motorcycles, pistol shots, banging of doors in an empty street, clatter of clogs from a hundred feet, buzzers, busy, factory bulls, the screeching of mishandled tools, squealing brakes and clanking rails, 
Strauss's music shrieks and wails, a brass band beating all its drums, a fiddler shuffling as he strums. Dolorous groans as neighbors grim murder their one and only hymn. Fussy folk with tongues a-clatter, empty heads and aimless chatter, laughter prim and those enigmas, the stifled plaints of Borborygmus, the fog-bound siren's echoing wail, the rigging shriek of ship and gale, the weary bang of flapping shudder, the gibberish that madmen mutter, a greasy beggar's whining tale, a politician's cakes and ale, a blatant voice in a pulpit high, complacent grunts from an odorous shy, slum yell rending the startled air, testament of wild despair, the clamor loud of a man on the make, the slanderous hiss of the human snake, the outworn teachings of the schools, the damning praise of the loud-voiced fools, the weeping of deserted brides, the sneering jest that envy hides, the common grumbler's daily growl, the doorstep wolf's impatient howl, the shallow wit of callow youth, the fearful croak of senile truth, and, last of all this doleful rhyme, the creaking of the wheels of time. From these, with all their weary fuss, oh, may the powers deliver us, and send to soothe our aching ears the mystic music of the spheres. End of section 11 End of The City of Din by Dan McKenzie